0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to the show. A few episodes back, we had our anniversary show and Brett asked us a really interesting question. Hmm. If we could go anywhere in the world to see any natural thing or phenomenon, what would it be? And I thought that was a really great question. My answer was that I wanted to visit an actively erupting volcano. Like, I wanted to see lava flows, lava fountains, all that just amazing stuff. I I would be just Mm -hmm. in awe of the raw power of nature. Like, the the forces and the temperatures involved in liquefying rock, something that's normally at this wild thing, and then sending it shooting into the air and just running and cascading down a mountain. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Um, and even if you've never visited a volcano before, I'm pretty sure you've seen a photo or a video. So I'm going to start things off with a question to the two of you. It's pretty simple. Can you describe for us what the colors of lava are? Well, what kind of like volcano they... are we talking about yeah, here? Yeah, because
1: there's a variety. I'm talking about
0: like, you know, you've got, you've got lot, like, glow i know there is i'm saying you got like glowing lava like shooting up into the air or running down the side of a mountain what colors would you expect to see
2: red orange yellow if it cools cools, black black blackish grayish
0: oh yeah and i don't mean like cool i mean like liquid you know like yeah like like yeah generally speaking like
1: really um, i think you pretty much covered like red orange yeah
0: yeah, you pretty much covered like what I was thinking, like orange to red, maybe even yellow. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on temperature. So red is the coldest of the lavas. This is like hot lavas, not, not old, yeah. old lava. <laughs> uh, red is the the actually the coldest of the the hot mm. lavas. Um, mm-hmm. It's about 600 to 800 degrees Celsius. Orange would be 800 to 1,000 degrees Celsius. And yellow is the hottest, being 1,000 to 1,200 degrees Celsius. And by the way... For people who prefer Fahrenheit, I'll do the red for you. For the the red would be um like one thousand eight hundred thirty two to two thousand one hundred ninety two degrees. <laughs> so really, really Maybe. hot, molten. Okay?
1: Yep, you might say.
0: Now, yeah, yes. Now, one color I didn't hear anyone mention is blue. blue.
1: I have to take this off my list now. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, now see. Here's the thing: lava <laughs> is famously not blue, right? Mm-hmm. Except for when it is. Although, spoiler alert: it never is. So, what <laughs> on earth am I talking about? <laughs> this is weird. I know. This week, my topic is blue lava. Blue. I like, Rachel, <laughs> I beat wild. you to it.
1: Yeah, you did. Yes.
0: Bl- blue lava. All right. So I already threw out that spoiler alert, which makes this whole topic seem really bizarre. But let me explain. Uh, in a few spots on Earth, you can see a phenomenon known as blue lava. As the sun goes down and the volcano is plunged in the darkness, an eerie blue glow and flames can be seen. Uh, I have a photo for both of you to check out here. For those of you who oh, are yeah. at home, uh, check out our Instagram or Facebook post to see the photo. Yeah. Victoria and Rachel, what do you think of this?
2: Oh, wow. Okay, let me tell you what I think is whoa. going on here. May I? Yeah, go for it.
0: Yeah, first of all, what do you see for those people who can't see Oh, all
2: right. So it's like, uh, in this, so it's a mountainous kind of volcanic landscape. In the center, there's a little plume of red, orange, yellow lava shooting up sparks. Uh There's some um, clouds, light clouds gathered right over it. And then spread out all around it is this eerie, purpley, blue lava field, I guess. It's Um,
0: wild. Does it look big or small? big yeah like vast right i mean yes. it's pretty impressive
1: yeah yeah wow. so uh that,
0: rachel was that kind of how you would that, describe it as well that's about
1: what i'm seeing yeah
0: this is pretty phenomenal and i would be ugh, just overjoyed so, the thing was so amazing to see this now uh, from what I could gather, the the three places where blue lava is most commonly seen, and the first one's a bit of a stretch, but actually Hawaii this is okay. been seen in Hawaii, but is very rare there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is the, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, the Danakil Depression in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and the Kauai Iljin Volcano hmm. in Indonesia. Yep. My apologies for all of that pronunciation. So... Uh, Kawa Iljin is probably the most famous and reliable location to see blue lava Uh, it's even become a tourist attraction now the one catch here and I alluded to this earlier uh, the one catch is that blue lava is super amazing super beautiful and decidedly super not lava I think Victoria you were kind of suspecting that was the case as well (coughs) here's what I think might be going on yeah it's not lava
2: Well, first of all, what I'm going to say is, is? when you started talking about the temperature of the different colors of lava, it made me think of the temperature of different colors of stars. Okay. Right. Because the the red ones are the coolest and the blue ones are the hottest. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you think about just like a a candle flame or a a stove flame, the blue part is the hottest also. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that's clearly, that, that clearly can't be what's going on here because the part that's bluest is the farthest away from the caldera here
1: where yeah. the, the mm. lava it, it does out. look a lot more... Interesting thought. Is it, could it be on like fire? Because I know that there, are, you can get different colors with different chemicals and stuff with fire.
2: Well, I was wondering if it, it was some kind of gas that was coming off that was igniting and... And like,
0: uh, you know, like natural natural gas burns blue. So something like that, maybe. Yeah, you're on the right track here. So all hmm. these locations I mentioned are indeed centers of volcanic activity. So there's certainly something geologic and fiery going on here. But you are correct that it is not liquefied rock that is glowing. Oh, blue. OK, so it looks like lava, but there there's not it's not actually liquefied rock. What these areas have in common is that they contain large amounts of sulfuric gases. Uh, so if you've ever been to an area with volcanic activity, you have no doubt smelled sulfur. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of Yellowstone, for example, mm-hmm. reek pretty yeah. badly of sulfur. Uh, many hot springs around the world smell terrible. And if you don't know what sulfur smells like, it is the smell of rotting eggs. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a real tough smell. Although, to so be honest... Lava people see.
2: Yeah. Most people haven't smelled rotting eggs, because you don't get them these days. But I feel like everybody knows I mean, what it smells like, even though yeah. nobody smelled rotting eggs.
0: Interesting. I've I've smelled a rotting egg, and it is it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like sulfur and yeah. some other nasty stuff too. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. If you, it's also also the smell, a bit of a smell that we add to natural gas in this country to give it so people so you kind of smell like, ooh, there's there's gas in my house if there's a gas leak because it's a nasty smell you know right away mm-hmm. so the blue lava people see and photograph is not lava at all it's actually burning sulfur gas oh. the fires burn 24 hours a day but are only visible at night when the blue color isn't like washed out and overpowered by su- the intensity of sunlight yeah right? mm-hmm. so uh at uh kawa iljin uh, the most famous location in the world for the blue flames they can reach heights of 16 feet. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay.
1: That's so, this so
0: is not high. just a little flicker on the ground. Oh, no. These are big old flames. Okay. Uh, which sounds absolutely outstanding. Now, if you're thinking you want to add this to your bucket list of places to visit, you certainly can. Uh, there are now that it's kind of gotten out that this is a cool thing to do. There's lots of tourists visiting. But uh, here's a few things you might want to keep in mind. First up, you better like hiking. Uh, This is not just something you drive to and pop out and see. Uh, You have to get to this remote village. And then it's a two-hour hike just to get to the top of the crater rim where this is seen. And then another 45-minute hike down into the crater on a 45 to 60-degree incline. Oh. And also, don't forget, don't forget you're doing it in the dark Mm -hmm. on uneven terrain. Yep. Uh, so this is well, I mean you could take not for the faint of I heart. I mean if
1: I was there the I would take the, know, I would take the fast route. I would fall. Health roll down the hill.
0: <laughs> uh, but so not, not on purpose. You just you have a fearless uh, self uh, awareness and you know that's what happened to you. Yeah. The second <laughs> thing you need to know is that you will need to wear a gas mask. Sulfur gas is both toxic and corrosive. And uh, this location is home to one of the largest sulfur mining operations in the world. The sulfur is deposited at vents in the crater and workers mine it with pickaxes all day long and carry it to the nearest village to be sold. It is horrible, backbreaking work. Uh, They are climbing that same, you know, uh, it's not actually the caldera. It's just a crater rim Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm that the tourists are then walking down. So they have to walk up that same hill and then the two miles that village all the while hauling large baskets of solid sulfur. They do this without any kind of protection for their lungs. Uh, It does indeed have a huge impact on their health. Uh, And so that is, to be clear, a real bummer. Uh, The work actually pays really well for the area, apparently about $13 a day. Uh, but if you aren't ready to face the reality of the poor working conditions of the people that live in the area, mm-hmm. then this probably isn't the shiny, happy tourist attraction you're looking for. Yeah. Now, the sulfur they mine is used to make batteries, glass, cement, matches, basically all the stuff we use daily. So the working conditions of these miners is directly tied to the items we use and enjoy. Uh, it's probably good to pause and think about the people working in such terrible conditions for so little money so we can have batteries in our cars and windows in our houses. It isn't pretty or fun, uh, but we have to all understand our roles in this economy and what uh, human tolls are paid for us to have these things. So, like I said, if you aren't willing mm-hmm. to face that reality uh, of the price others are paying for your lifestyle, again, this is not not the tourist destination for mm-hmm. you. Uh, the next thing to keep in mind uh, is that you must stay away from the lake. Rachel, I'm talking to you. Stay away from the lake. <laughs> mm. The crater is filled with an absolutely gorgeous-looking lake that will dissolve the flesh right off your bones Uh-oh. and then dissolve the bones as well. Okay. Pure su- uh, sulfuric one... acid, basically. Exactly. It's one of the most sulfur-rich locations in the world, so it should not come as a surprise. The lake is actually pretty much just a big old pool of sulfuric acid. Uh, one source I found measured the pH of the lake at less than 0.13 on the pH oh. scale. <laughs> Which is straight okay. up terrifying. Yep. Um, wow. For reference, stomach acid, which is hydrochloric acid, is about two on the scale. And battery acid, which is also sulfuric acid, is generally thought to have a pH around one. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's crazy that the lake has a pH less than pure sulfuric acid. I, I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. Let me say this again. Do not swim in sulfuric <sighs> acid. I shouldn't need to say that. But yeah, it's very it seems like an obvious uh, thing. But. Yeah, so look, that's it. That's my topic. Blue lava. That isn't really lava, but is freaking amazing anyhow. And something I absolutely would want to go and see in my lifetime because it's blue lava. Who knew that there was such a thing as blue lava? Again, not really lava, mm-hmm. but it looks like blue <laughs> lava. Um, and it seems like just such a, a cool and amazing thing to see. Uh, there are pictures that we'll put up of this as well. But if you want to search out on your own, just do a, an image search for blue lava. And there's tons of amazing, amazing photos and videos.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. cool. Thank you,
0: Kirk. Uh, yeah. Fascinating topic. Thank you. You are welcome. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Rachel, I hope you have something that's not an April Fool's topic for us. Strange by Nature Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com/slash Strange by Nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to super-secret content. So, a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash Nature. See you soon!
1: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, So, we're going to go from Indonesia, uh, and we're actually going to... Take a short little plane ride. We're going to go to Africa uh, to learn about a really cool bird that lives in the wetlands and swamps uh, in South Sudan, going down to Zambia. Um, so this large bird, uh, one that actually has been put in the pelican family, or at least for a little while, uh, but is. Actually, in its own family now is the Baleen. I practiced this. Balian Niceps. <laughs> awesome. Rex. <laughs> uh
0: huh. This is, makes everyone else feel better about when they try to pronounce things. Yeah. Though, so don't worry oh, about
1: it. It's great. Uh, Rex, the king. Balian Niceps Rex. Okay. It's funny that you bring up uh, dinosaurs there, Victoria. Nice. Well done. Uh, because uh, this dinosaur looks like it, or this bird looks like a walking dinosaur. <laughs> uh, oh,
0: well, as mess. well they should.
1: Right. Uh, but you already did cassowary, so it can't be a I, cassowary. It's not a cassowary. Uh, so today I'm talking about the shoebill stork. Oh, the shoebill. Oh,
0: storks. Storks. Yes. Shoebills are yeah. amazing.
1: This is a wild, wild bird they're so cool so um first things first like this bird already looks pretty intimidating or at least to me um i found out how big it was and then i got more scared so it ranges in height from three and a half feet to up to five feet tall that's
2: almost a rachel wow is
1: almost a rachel (laughs) And then it has a wingspan of seven and a half to oh, eight yeah, these, and a half
0: These feet. are real weird looking ones. Wow. Oh, I did not realize it was such a big wingspan. They they're are freaky looking. Large
1: birds. Um, but they're really freaky looking. Um, the big identifier is that really big bill. Um, they call it a shoe bill. There's also a whale bill, stork. Um, it kind of looks like, to me at least, it looks like... You took, like, a pelican, and you put, you dyed it gray. All of the feathers and everything are gray. And then you put, like, a, okay. a clog yeah. on its face. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's very much like a for clog, a beak. yeah. <laughs> clog <laughs> bill, yeah.
1: There we go. So that is a really big identifier, and it uses that very large, hard bill um, for everything. It's for making... Um, making all the different types of noise. Uh, they can make, uh, what's it? They use it to fish for prey. They, um, douse its eggs or chicks with water. Um, but it also will perform like bill clapping, which is actually cool. pretty common way to get things. Uh, like I like to warn ward off like predators and everything. Oh, my God. It's just, yeah, it sounds very uh, ominous when they do it because it's really deep and loud because the beak is so hard and it looks, and it is so big and the bird itself is so big. Kind of like how pileated woodpeckers, when they're drumming, the they're a lot louder than like a downy woodpecker, which is much smaller. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So it technically is a like wading bird. It does eat fish and things like that. Um and generally speaking, it will soar. Uh it's more of a soaring bird than uh just a, f- a flapping bird. Um but uh it's very it's just it's so cool. Um but it has a pretty short neck in comparison to other like wading birds. To talk a little bit more about yeah, its yeah. voice, generally speaking, like they don't actually like talk like humans, obviously, but they uh don't actually like sing or any such <laughs> thing. <laughs> they don't sing. <laughs> uh pretty much ever. They're mostly silent birds, which is kind of different. Uh, because most birds uh use song to attract mates. These ones really don't oh yeah yeah uh generally speaking they uh are pretty solitary so they'll like mate with other um with other birds and everything but they're pretty elusive so it's been really hard for us to really see what their um courtship process is so yeah all right um the sounds that they do make, uh, apparently they can make a cow-like moo. <laughs> so, you know. Wow.
0: Moo. Oh, thank, thank you, you for, for that. Thank uh, you for the demonstration.
1: <laughs> Anytime.
0: It'll be my new Rachel ringtone.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> as well as, like, a high-pitched, like, whine. Um, and they'll use, like, the bill clattering. But when the young, when they're really little... Uh, when the young are in the nest, because um, they have been able to observe at least some aspects of their nesting behaviors and everything. Apparently, when the babies are calling for food and asking for food, as baby birds tend to do, apparently they call out with a sound that sounds a lot like human hiccups.
0: <laughs> awesome. Great. Great. Which... Amazing.
1: Exactly like i don't know just the similarity uh, everywhere i noted everywhere uh, i was researching like wikipedia and um san diego zoo and the national geographic they're all like it it like sounds uncannily like human hiccup or human hiccups which is wild Um, So these are just like wildly large birds, um, and they are really, really cool uh, looking as well. Um, So I really just wanted to talk about them today. So that's all I have for you today. Well,
2: thank you. They are um, amazing looking birds, and it was great to learn more about them.
0: Yeah, they are. Yeah. I would love to see one. They're just, they're so, they're so strange. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Strange, strange nature. Mm. Like they, and I, it's a bummer that they're, you know, they're, they're not doing great. numbers. No, they're not. Uh, they are truly something, uh, something special.
1: Yeah. They, and I can't get over, like they, they do look like a really gray pelican and they're pretty cool, but they definitely look like they were around with the dinosaurs which is great. (laughs) All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, it'll be Victoria.
2: And we're back. Let me tell you about John Wesley Powell. Okay. Yeah. He was born in 1834. Uh, At the age of 22, he rode a boat down the Mississippi River from St. Anthony Falls in Minnesota to the Gulf of Mexico. Cool. He lost a large part of his right arm at the Battle of Shiloh in the Civil War. Okay. After the war, he became a geology professor at a couple universities in Illinois, despite never having finished his undergraduate degree. Sure. Why not? Which I guess you could really do more in the 19th century. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Must be nice to be a white man, huh? Yeah. Well, (laughs) that too. Yeah. Later in his career, he became the second director of the U S geological survey in 1881. Uh, Yeah, but in the 1860s and 70s, while he was a professor, he led a series of expeditions to explore the American West. And in 1869, he took nine men and four boats and a whole lot of supplies and set out from uh, the Green River in southern Wyoming to explore the length of the Green and Colorado rivers and finished about three months later in southern Nevada.
0: Yeah, I I read about that uh, about that trip.
2: Yes, quite a trip. He lost, well, three men left the expedition along the way and were never seen again.
1: Oh, good. That bodes well. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, their choice to leave, but conditions were difficult, I think. Uh,
0: To say the least, yeah.
2: Yes. Along the way, they traversed the Grand Canyon, and he was able to make some very interesting geological uh, observations. So, if you have ever looked at pictures of the rocks in the Grand Canyon, you will notice that they're stacked in horizontal layers. They're sedimentary mm-hmm. rocks. So, they were laid down, various kinds of sediments, um, in the Paleozoic era, which is from about 550 million years ago to about 270 million years ago. hmm. Okay. However, at the bottom of the stack, there's a break in the pattern. So those neat horizontal layer, layers abruptly stop, and below them is a layer of harder crystalline metamorphic rocks that run in vertical layers.
0: Oh, hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah. And Powell, being a geologist, immediately noticed this, and this kind of difference is called an unconformity in geological
0: language. Oh, I, love, I, I love that term. Yep.
2: Yes. So good. So these much older rocks right up against these newer rocks. And as an experienced geologist, Powell was (laughs) spending time counting the layers of rocks he could see, both the horizontal bands above and the vertical bands below. And by counting these vertical bands, because they're slightly tilted, he could tell that (laughs) there were missing layers. In fact, the vertical layers were about 500 feet thick, but by this count of his, he could tell that they should be about 10,000 feet thick oh Oh. wow yeah okay
1: not the same thing
2: no Uh, and we now in fact know that the older rocks are about 1.7 billion billion with a b years old at the youngest (laughs) and they directly underlie rocks that are about 550 million years old So that is a gap of more than a billion years. A billion years. Yeah. Wow. Huh. 1.2 billion years, approximately. So what happened to all that missing rock?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially since like there's, it's like the meat of the sandwich is gone.
2: Right. Yeah. Good, good metaphor there. So this is called the great unconformity. And, It is most obvious to see at the Grand Canyon, but it is actually a much more widespread phenomenon. And in fact, it occurs most places on the planet, although in many cases, this great unconformity is below the surface where nobody can see it. Sure, sure. Huh. And in some places, the gap is bigger, and in some places, it's smaller, but it is there all around the world.
0: Interesting. And it mm. is also a great
2: mystery because geologists cannot agree on what happened to those missing rocks.
1: Amazing. What? We've yes. all good wow. mystery. Okay.
2: And to add to the mystery, the great unconformity also occurs right before something called the Cambrian Explosion, mm-hmm. which was about okay. 538 yeah, million yeah. years ago. And this was not a literal explosion. But it was a huge Mm -hmm. diversification of the number and types of species in the fossil record. And an an explosion mm -hmm. of life. Explosion of life, exactly. New forms of life. And that was the origin point of almost all of the major phyla of animals that exist today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And before that, most life was very strange and not like the life that we see today. A lot of it was single-celled or very small multicellular organisms sometimes organized into colonies and weird forms that we're not really sure what they are necessarily even.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And No one can agree on what caused the Cambrian
0: explosion either.
2: <laughs> At any rate, it was it, there in, all, th- in
0: all fairness. It was a long time ago. So it was a very long time ago. We weren't yes. really Evidence there. lacking. Yeah. Until we get our time machine. Yep. Half a billion hmm. years ago.
2: Um, At any rate, there are some hypotheses about what could have happened to all those missing rocks from the Great Unconformity. Uh, One of the leading guesses has to do with a hypothesis called Snowball Earth, which I Hmm. I just love some of these geological names.
1: (laughs) That's Um, an excellent name.
2: Yeah. The geological evidence supporting this uh, mainly has to do with rocks showing sediments that could only have been laid down by glaciers, but that occurred in areas where they were thought to be in tropical latitudes at the time the sediments were put down mm-hmm. and there are many such sediments all over the world around the same time showing glaciers active in many locations simultaneously
0: okay that was so that it's was my first thought when you, okay. when you mentioned it too because that's what we see here for example in minnesota where we live yeah where there's Many years of rocks that are missing because the glaciers came by and just ground them up,
1: scraped them up. Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: So for this hypothesis, it's thought that the entire uh, planet underwent a climate shift that left it mostly or completely frozen for a long period of time, Uh millions of Mm -hmm. years. And the thought is, as you as you said, Kirk, basically, while the Earth was covered by glaciers for this very long period of time, they scraped and carved away the layers of rock causing the great unconformity.
0: Right. But also, you're not really forming new have, layers say, of ocean, rock. You're forming, yeah, you're forming new sedimentary rock. But if it's frozen, there's, yeah. there's really no so, new rock. No, no new rock. Exactly. So scraping uh-huh.
2: it away and also not laying it down in the first place. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So another th- hypothesis has to do yeah, with the creation, yeah, a creation of a supercontinent called Rodinia.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: uh, yeah. So all the Earth's landmasses got. Pushed together, basically into a, a giant plateau that was kind of uplifted. And okay. when you push a bunch of land together, there's more heat, uh, and also the tectonic force is pushing them up. All of this led to greater erosion than normal, just because the land was okay. pushed up higher, so it was more subject to erosive forces of rain and wind and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Or it could be some combination of these where all the sediment that was getting eroded from Rodinia went into the sea, uh, okay. trapping carbon dioxide <laughs> as, uh, and then setting up an sort of anti-greenhouse effect, then causing the snowball yeah, earth, which okay. compound the erosion. Um, and, yeah. Although finally, there is some recent evidence that the Great Unconformity was not, in fact, a single event. But two separate ones that occurred at a similar time in geologic history uh, and may have been caused by several different things, uh, both excess erosion, but also in some cases with continents being lifted up so high that no sediment was being laid down in the first place because there was nothing to land on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, this is an area of geology that was Not a lot of research was happening in it for a long time, but now research is happening, and now we have a lot more tools at our disposal in terms of um, ways that we can date rocks and sediments, and um, ways that we can do other kinds of microscopic analysis of different rocks to learn more about them. To
0: drill down to get to those layers in places where they're not exposed, because often they're quite deep.
2: So. Basically, more research is forthcoming. We may learn more about this uh, in the near future, but that's what we know cool. for now. Very cool. Yeah, that's well, fine. If we do
0: learn more, are you going to report it for us?
2: Uh, I will try.
0: I Appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Yay! My sources this week were an article in BBC Future by Zaria Grovette, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey, and Wikipedia.
0: Awesome. Very, very. Yeah. Cool. Thanks,
2: Victoria. You're welcome. Just another geological classic from from my microphone to you. Uh, That's (laughs) what we have
0: this week. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Thanks for listening. We will see you next next week. week.
0: (laughs) Bye -bye. Bye. 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 Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.